0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Get ready to learn and laugh. Here we go. Hi,
1: I'm Jen Cole. I am the community manager at Social Media Examiner and co-founder of Protect Media, and this is Making a Marketer.
2: Hello, I'm Elizabeth Glau at elizabethglau.com, and welcome to Making a Marketer. Hello, hello,
0: Megan Powers here. You can find me on the Twitter at Megan Powers, and I'm with Powers of Marketing, which coincidentally is the sponsor for the show. What do you know? Powers of Marketing, we provide strategic communication, consulting, and execution for small to medium-sized businesses that need help growing their sales. So we have a fantastic show today. This is episode 30, and we're going to talk transformative events. One of our guests is a returnee, and we love her to pieces, Tahira and Dean. Welcome, Tahira. Hello. Thanks for having me. And then Emma Parston is a new guest who I'm sure is equally as fabulous. And I'm going to give your intros in a sec. Welcome, Emma.
3: Hi. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Of course. Okay. So the scoop on Tahira. She is designing people-centric, purpose-driven events. She lives in Vancouver and is head of events at Site Global, which is the Society for Incentive Travel Excellence. Great organization, and they are lucky to have her. Her book, Intentional Event Design, Our Professional Opportunity, was written over the course of two decades, experience <laughs> producing events and designing environments where trust is nurtured, driving growth for participants and organizations. She's an instructor, a certified event designer, and a digital event strategist. And that's not even all. She's won all sorts of awards, and she's super awesome. And then Emma Parston is a leader in creating innovative, activating, and groundbreaking events and platforms. Emma is renowned in the industry for collaborating with clients to turn their brand messaging into an authentic storytelling opportunity using a 360-degree immersive experience. Wow. Talk in my language. Storytelling. I love it. She's a sought-out design and logistics expert with an unrivaled ability to bring ideas to life. Emma has had the opportunity to be in lead positions with organizations, including TED, the Dalai Lama's Canadian Tour, and the United Nations. She's currently a partner at Connect7 and oversees all event activations, design, and programming. Fabulous. All right. So we have a lot of awesome questions for you guys today. As everybody knows, this is a marketing podcast. Events are a key piece of marketing, and this is part of the reason why we tend to have shows that are focused on it, because it's super important, and it's a, it's a piece of the puzzle, right? So we're going to kick it off with Elizabeth's going to start us off with the question.
2: All right. So let's start, you know, pretty generic or high level, and I want to hear what your uh, definition is of an experiential event, or what does it mean to design an experience for your attendees?
4: So for me, I think designing an experience means that we just start at the beginning and walk through right from long before they arrive at the event. But what does every touch point feel like from the first time that you register to getting all of your information to stepping into the registration area? And then walking through your whole event, how are we creating those places and spaces that people just are happy to be in and excited about? And how do we bring brands to life in ways that make sense to them? And that looks different for everybody. And that's what's so great about events is we're never bored. How about Emma?
3: Yeah, for me, I think, I mean, very similar. I think that making sure that we're touching attendees on all of the different levels. So that can be, as Tahira said, like from the beginning to the end, but also touching on all of the different senses, how we're being able to, you know, visually, and then some of the senses that you may not think of as much as in terms of like touch and taste in order to really evoke the emotion that's going to complete the event story for them. Awesome.
1: So what role would you guys say that social media plays when it comes to designing a an experiential event
4: well, social media now, its just part, has to be part of the story. There's no way that, you know, it used to be we put up a drape line and that meant you didn't go there. Now it's just an invitation for people to go behind and see what's there. And it's one of the greatest powers that we have with our events is to be able to not only create a story that is immersing them while they're on site, but is also extending and amplifying because they can't wait to share it you know they're sharing their social status by saying where they are they're extending their social status by showing where they are and they are also making sure that the story of the event doesn't just stop in the moment that it's happening
3: yeah to add to that as well i think it's important um it can extend the life of an event as well right you can build up the excitement before the event with your social media and then activate it on site um, to all the ways that Tahira just mentioned, and then continuing that afterwards, not only with the social media messages mm-hmm. being amplified, but in communicating with your guests post-event too. Yeah, I
1: love the uh, after the event because sometimes that's something that just kind of drops off after the event is over, and then it gets samped up before the event the next year. So I love that you guys talk about the end of the event and after the event for a while.
0: Yeah. I, I wanted Jen to give her two cents because Jen is on a team. She works at Social Media Examiner, which puts on the largest social media marketing conference that happens. And it's in San Diego next week. And she's on the social team, on the community team. So Jen, do you want to talk, just talk to that a little bit about how it's at the heart of what you guys do with World?
1: Oh, man, I've actually done a lot of tweeting about this today and a lot of talking about this in the last week. And something that I just can't get over is the excitement leading up to, you know, I follow the event hashtag on, on our social media listening tool every single day. And every single day, it's, you know, it's visually getting louder and louder and louder as people amp up and they post pictures from last year and they post pictures of their You know, the people that they want to start taking selfies with as soon as they hit the ground this year and the anticipation right now as we're in the pre-event like the very heart of pre event right now. It is absolutely amazing. You know, I hit the ground in San Diego in about 40 hours from now, and I'm already just like, I'm already mentally there. During the event, it's a whirlwind of customer service, following the hashtag, answering um, questions because we have thousands of people there, and we want to make sure that everybody is ha- having the best experience possible at Social Media Marketing World. And then after the event, In the past, we have kind of, you know, like what I said just a minute ago, we've kind of let it die down. This year, that's not our plan at all. This year, we have a post-event plan, and I'm so, so excited about that because then we're going to get to get people's takeaways. We're going to get some of their favorite moments, um, you know, right after the event and months after the event, and I think that that can be a really powerful thing for us to know from a brand standpoint and for them to share because, they're all attendees of the same conference. And it's like a family reunion, it's social media marketing world. I
4: actually had a big discussion with Phil about, you know, that just even that, the cycle of an event. So how do you create something that, you know, where you start, obviously, but how do you finish the event strong? And I think that that's one of the things that is you know, not only with social media, but our onset experience where, you know, we sort of, it's easy to let things kind of peter out. And what we really need to be doing if we're going to create these immersive transformative experiences is to make sure that we're creating as much of a high at the end as at the beginning. Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so exciting.
0: Yeah, this year they used Facebook groups for by vertical and by platform. So there are private groups only for attendees for Instagram for content creation for video agencies and it's a lot. It's been a lot to manage and to oversee. I'm a I'm a volunteer and so I'm one of the moderators. And this is a holy grail, right? You're talking about a conference for social media marketers. Obviously, they're going to maximize that, but it does say a lot, and it's a I, it's important for the organization to continue on with the conversation because like I follow the hashtag from last year on Instagram, people are still posting using last year's hashtag. Like,
1: yeah, it's crazy. <laughs>
0: it's kind of making me laugh. And you know, we are in San Diego, which is a destination that people like to come to, right? So it's a, it can sound a good segue into, into my question is what part does a venue or a location play in when you're designing an experiential event? Emma, you want to go?
3: first on this one? Yeah, I mean, I think that we do a lot of work actually promoting destinations, so I might answer that question from a tiny bit of a different point of view in that if we're using that destination as part of our event. So I think it's really important to look at what the USPs of that destination are. So for example, if it's a smaller destination, you know, networking being much easier with your delegates in that space because they're not getting lost or eaten up by some of these like big city moments, as well as what the um, like vertical expertise in, in the cities are. So if you're in a city that's a technology hub, use that, use them as your suppliers, use them as your speakers, does really highlight that. Um, Same with culinary. I mean, that's a huge aspect that most destinations are pushing. So so pull the unique culinary pieces from those destinations. And if you're coming in as another destination, link those two things together. I would say
4: some of of the key ways that we like to promote and use the
3: destinations that we're in.
4: Smart. Tahira, what about you? Well, I think that they have to be totally separated. You know, destination has to come first. It's going to be, you know, if we're looking at incentive programs, the venues are all pieces of it but ultimately it's going to be the destination being an aspirational destination that's going to drive how hard people are going to work to get on those incentive programs and it's that's a key piece yeah. of it and of course what we're seeing with destinations too is it's not just what we always considered our first tier destinations but it's also about those you know slightly outside of the norm Destinations, especially as the world becomes more traveled, and as we start to see, you know, everything is available on Discovery and National Geographic TV and 17 other channels, plus YouTube, plus Instagram, plus, plus, plus. Right. You know, so there's everywhere in the world has a sunset, everywhere in the world has a sunrise. But what are the pieces in between that are really going to have people, first of all, try to, or, you know, be inspired to go there? But second of all, when they're there, create the memories both that they expect to make and the things that they expect to see, but then also the things they didn't expect to learn. That's what's so exciting about destinations is what you learn from travel.
3: Mm-hmm. And I'll add to that. I think it's really important as well, as we see more and more of over tourism in, in the bigger destinations, and you know, events do play into to tourism and leisure as well. And so pushing those second tier destinations or the times of year when um, things aren't as popular as fall, well, but making sure that we're in destinations and respecting the busy seasons and busy areas as well.
0: Smart. Well, and like with occupancies being so high, looking at the non top tier destinations is probably important, right? For space and pricing.
3: Definitely. It will certainly help your uh, event
4: budget hitting your destinations and going off season for sure. Well, I think it's also a nicer experience when you're not actually somewhere in peak season. So, you know, you get a little bit more attention from the destination as well. and And also quite often our business cycles are such that, you know, when people want to travel with their families is in peak season and it's not when you want to go on a business trip, whether that's a conference or an incentive program. So, I think it's, you know, as we can look to extend seasons for, for destinations, that's a, it's a benefit for everybody. For sure. And then venues you asked about, and I think that, you know, venues is another, is one of the opportunities that we have in a destination, which is to take people to places they couldn't otherwise necessarily experience. Maybe at times they couldn't experience them. You know, so to go into an iconic venue in a non-peak time without tourists, but with the people that, you know, you like around you, that can be really special. And to be able to do things that are early morning or, you know, evening events where it, you know, it's just the light in the air is a little bit more magical in some of the places that you are. is Those are those moments in time that you don't forget from a from a trip.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're lucky in that being in the meetings and events space that we get to go into some pretty cool venues that you might not normally get access to. So that's that's pretty awesome, too.
2: Yeah, definitely. So talk to me a little bit about what you think the role of mindfulness is when you're designing an event.
4: How do you incorporate that? Tiara? what do you think? Ooh, that's a great question. So I think that mindfulness is something that we need to be practicing more in our daily lives. It's something we're interestingly seeing elementary school starting to practice with students who are acting out is having them just stop and have a mindful moment and boy don't we all wish that we would have learned that from an earlier age because it's you know we get into our busy 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 lives and it's difficult to stop and take that time and really think about being mindful and then of course what we see on programs is often the people who are traveling on our programs that let's call it the typical demographic of you know 35 to 64 years old like smiles adventure that's also the demographic that is you know, looking to incorporate CSR into their lives, that is looking, you know, a little more social responsibility that is looking to find more quiet time in a really, you know, when you're raising a family and you're running a career and you have a pet and you're, you know, trying to build your, your friend life and maybe buying a house or renovating a house and you're doing all of those things that are very, and maybe get going to school as well. You know, we fill our lives up with stuff and to be able to step back and take time is something that's really important and it's something that it's hard to sell empty space in a program, but it's one of the most valuable gifts that we can give people in a program is that time to just sit and reflect on what they've learned and what they've heard and the people that they've met.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We're working um, with a client right now who has a very, um, it's a sensitive topic and part of that we're really pushing them to not over-program. You know, we're saying it's always better to give people time to have space to actually reflect on what's just happened, the conversations that have just been had, rather than packing them in and running over, um, you know, in the opposite direction. Something else that we're doing um, that really speaks to this mindfulness um, topic is having a quiet lounge area specifically for people who this topic may be a bit too much, might need their own personal space. And it's really just, it's kind of, you know, the opposite of the Instagram moment building that in as well, like having the time where they can just have the moment to themselves and really listen, reflecting on, on what's just been presented to them and at the event.
4: And I think there's really easy ways we can do that. You know, it was interesting. I was at an event yesterday where they had some lounge furniture set up and but it was all sort of facing inside and facing the busyness and the traffic. Whereas I just wanted to get up and move that couch and turn it around and face the windows that look out over the beautiful, you know, we're lucky to have a convention center that looks out over a Harbor and mountains. And I was just looking at all the business going on. And it literally was all I could do to not just, you know, turn that couch around because it's that it is that easy. You should have to done it, <laughs> it was so tempting honestly <laughs> i just needed the guy beside me to get off the phone so he could lift up the other end but right. it, it can be that simple you know sometimes it can be a whole room sometimes it could just be some chairs that face nature it doesn't we don't have to make it complicated or expensive or fancy we just need to give people just a little space that they can have for themselves
3: and I think something really plays into this as well as remembering that we have all different types of delegates at our event. And I think that often when programming events, we really think about the extroverts and the people who always want to be involved and in going and going and going. And then there are people introverts need that space to actually recharge and to actually be able to go to the next session and properly participate in that. So I think we need to be the mindfulness piece. I think it's really great that we're talking about it and starting to see that being built into more events because we're then able to help and speak to all of our delegates and attendees who are are participating.
0: That's a great tip. Oh, and then you keep them there, right? Rather than them going back to their room.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: That can be very powerful. I know that I've I've used the... The mindfulness lounge mentioned working many times in the past. This this is a wonderful segue though into what my question is. It's how important do you feel like wellness lounges and you know the activities that the the physical activities are to incorporate into your event?
4: I think they're incredibly important, but I think they're also incredibly difficult to get traction on. You know, so it's great to say we're gonna do sweat working or we're gonna set out a 7 a.m. run or you know, whatever it might be, but it's you're going to usually get a very small portion of people, you know, five to 10%, maybe who will come out and do those things. Now for that five or 10%, they love it. But for the rest of the people, they'd rather just sleep in have coffee, catch up on emails. And so it's also about respecting that people have different needs and have different ways of managing their time, and that it's perfectly okay to do that. Emma?
3: Yeah, and I think this can of relates also to to the introvert extrovert um, dynamic as well, and I think to it's it's uh, it's a little difficult because, as Tahira says, you don't get a huge pickup on it. But what um, is a great thing to do is have various different activities, various different activities at various different times, and at various different accessibility levels. You know, you might have people who want to go for a six a.m. run. You might want have people who want to do yoga in the afternoon. You know, so I think being able to build that into a program and, and knowing that you're only going to get a smaller percentage of your delegates. But for those people, it is really important and it aids in that learning.
0: For sure. Because I'm not a morning person. I don't do mornings. Like just getting to a session. I will get to the session on time, but doing anything before that, probably not likely because I'm an night owl and I was out the night before. <laughs> so how uh, so working in times during that with Jen Cole. Um <laughs> having those but times me. I was <laughs> <laughs> usually
2: um, having those times
0: throughout the day. Um mixing it up. That's a great idea. I love that.
2: I attended um MPI Northern California chapters, I think they call it ACE. Like it just happened. So this was like a year ago. And they actually had a guided meditation using the like silent disco, you know, headphones at the beginning of the program. And I loved it so much. I have to tell you. Like it was really just, you know, helping people set the intention, right? You know, for their day or, you know, for the event. And you know, just having that moment to literally just stop, right? Just stop and sit there and, you know, think about what you're there for. I just thought that was, you know, brilliant. Because when I have tried to do a wellness lounge at, uh, you know, in my former positions really just becomes another place to sit, right? Mm -hmm. You really have to be very intentional about what you want them to do in that space and, you know, helping, you know, guide them through that.
3: Well, I think meditation these days, a lot of delegates are much more receptive to it than they used to be. and I think that's because we're seeing a lot more of um, sure. the that, that bring that into people's lives, as well as the whole mindfulness topic, which is infiltrating not just events, but everyone's lives. And so bringing in meditation pieces like throughout events is is something that I think we can now do without having a huge amount of pushback.
0: So that actually is good. So Emma, would you say then? I was going to ask what the best tips and resources for someone who wants to implement more mindfulness into their events or projects. Would you like? Would you go the app route? Would you have it be
3: organized? What do you think? I think just speaking about mindfulness, I think taking it off of the phone and into real life is is an important thing to do. Um, I understand that apps make things much more accessible and a way to do things. Think at an event where you have the advantage of having people together face to face. Let's do it that way. Let's you know speak to what the root of mindfulness is. And I think just the biggest tip would be you know experimenting with with what your delegates like. You know time of day they want to do that. What they're receptive to. How much they need. And and knowing that some things won't work, and some things will take a little time to pick up. and, And you're just you're testing out the waters to to give the best back to your attendees.
0: Right. Tahira, what do you think? Do you do you attend? Do you go to the that room and at IMEX? Do you ever?
4: It's the highlight of IMEX for me every Wednesday afternoon. That's my thing that I always go do. Um, I try to go more than once, but it's always for sure Wednesday afternoon at two o'clock. If I if I'm not there, then I'm super sad. So then I have to still find a way to get there. Um, But you know, and they do a they do a combination of you can just have quiet space or you can go for the guided meditations, and I think that that really works. I also think that, again, it's just opening up that discussion and also people understanding that, you know, if you walk into a session and you still are looking at your phone every two minutes and you're not really paying attention to what's happening on stage, that's fine. You can make that choice. But if your actual intention in coming to this event was to A, learn things, then you need to actually mindfully set that intention and pay attention to what's happening and then take some time to process it. And again, we need to leave the time and space for that. And if your intention was to come and just network, then maybe sitting in that session isn't going to do you any good at all. And maybe that's okay. That's where you go and you hang out and you have a coffee in the hallway. And to give ourselves permission to do those different things. You know, I always say that we sell program, you know, we, we sell our attendance to our boss based on what the program is, but we return the year after because of the experience that we had and the people that we met. And it's giving people some of those choices and permission to take those choices. You know, it's that law of two feet sometimes is the best thing that are are going to grow our events because people are going to want to come back because they had an experience and learned the things that they needed to learn at that time.
3: And I think tying into that and to something that Elizabeth said earlier about the meditation, you know, taking a cue from um, yoga practices and at the beginning, they'll often ask you, what is your intention? Why are you here in this class? And bringing that to the event as well and reminding people of that question and why are they there? And maybe that will remind them to put their phone away for this session, or maybe it will speak to them. Actually, I'd be out networking with so-and-so having a coffee rather than in this session. So I think bringing it back to, yeah, your, your attention um, is important as well and, and speaks to that mindfulness piece.
0: Super smart. Well, and I go to the, what do they call it? I don't, I don't do yoga a ton, but I need to, and I love it. I, the third eye or whatever, like the focus mm-hmm. in on. So I'll do that. Like in, in like random things, like I need to be enjoying this right now and I'll try to focus back. Like, is it that funny? Like, even like when I'm getting my, when my hairdresser's washing my hair, I like, I want to really enjoy this and not be thinking about something else. So I think mm-hmm. um, reminders is uh, super important.
3: I went so far as to get a tattoo this year, actually. It says be here now just to remind myself to be in the moment.
4: more. Oh, That's I awesome. That. Nice. We're well, just one up to all of us.: I'm
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, well, we're about almost at halfway, and so we, Tahira, since you've been on last, I think, have started taking a little brain break in the middle. So look at that.: Yeah. And because it's pie day, Elizabeth had the idea for us to each share what's our favorite kind of pie.:
2: And now, ASAP science presents 100 digits of pie pieces
0: <sighs> that's cartman in case you couldn't tell my awful cartman south park imitation <laughs> and if you don't like pie she said or dessert or sweet etc well, who doesn't like pie and since i'm talking i'll start first uh you don't okay
2: diet okay so okay. yeah she's gonna to have to come up with a different Whatever. dessert
0: this is imaginary you know in a perfect world where calories don't count and you know all that kind of good stuff I am a freak for tiramisu, so I have never met a tiramisu I didn't like, but that's not pie. So to stick with the pie thing, I'm going to say pumpkin pie. Like I feel like fall, like Thanksgiving was created so that I could
2: have pumpkin pie. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: it was. Emma, what about you? Do you have like, what's an ideal in America? We have like apple pie is like all American. Do you have a Canadian pie? So
3: I'm actually American by birth. So yeah. I'm going to to apple pie as well, okay. but I will give a caveat to that. My husband, when we were dating, he was late for dinner once because he brought over a homemade apple pie with lattice work on the top and caramel sauce. And to this day, it's the best pie I've ever had.
0: Wow, that's it. That gets points. Wait, yeah, you're, you're American living in Canada, but your accent is
3: British. I grew up in England. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So
0: you're British American. Canadian?
4: Canadian, yeah. <laughs> Tahira? Well, like I just said, we don't, I don't like pie. I don't like pie crust, but I love pie filling. And then I really like any kind of pie filling. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't really have a favorite. We did um, a couple of years ago, we did this huge event that was on pie day. And so we actually had a pie break. So we had sweet pies and savory pies and mini pies and big pies and small pies and all kinds of pies. And we had thousands of people and it was super fun. So I would definitely think any time that you are doing an event on March 14th you have to have pie. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah.
2: I'm, I'm with you on the on the crust and it's sad because my mom makes like the best crust and the best apple pies but yeah, I'm really just I'm in it for the filling. Like I'm in it for those apples <laughs> coated in sugar and cinnamon and whatever. Like I like the middle stuff the best, you know, the crust. <laughs> yeah. That's mine. Miss Cole.
1: Well, I mean, I like pie. And if I have to pick a kind of pie, I'm going to pick chocolate cream pie. But my real favorite kind of pie is a pizza pie, Megan. Uh. <laughs>
2: pizza pie. That's awesome. I'm going to a a, brewer, a place that makes cider tonight. And they actually put pies, including pizza in one of them, into their ciders.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: Yeah, I'm super, I, went to, I went to this last year. It was super exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Like blended in or sitting on top?
2: know yeah, it's like inside. It's like in the cider. And then it just sits there for however long that, you know, they're making the cider. So, yeah, they have one that's like apple pie. They have one that's like pizza. They have other flavors. I'm just, the
0: pizza was the one I couldn't wrap my head around. I was trying no, it's to actually picture. Good. I know it
2: sounds like weird, but it's actually really good. I don't know how they do it.
0: They drain it after they soak it in there? Or... <laughs> yeah. You can picture like, a piece
2: of soggy pizza. Yeah, it's not like chunky or anything, right? <laughs> yeah, they filter it out somehow, right? <laughs>
0: a Bloody Mary that came with a piece of bread. It, like, it was like a piece of pizza on French bread just sitting on top of it. I was wondering how they were going to do it. I figured they'd have it on a stick or something. No, it was just like a Bloody Mary with here's a little piece of pizza. <laughs> that awesome. All right, cool. Um, we'll see when, what kind of music our editor comes up with to go with the, <laughs> with the pie. He likes to find music that matches what the brain break
1: is. It's cute.
4: Uh, Bye Bye Miss American Pie.
0: There you go. Oh, yeah, but then we have to to pay. pay. Then we have to pay licensing. Oh,
4: yeah, we don't want that. (laughs) So,
2: all right, Elizabeth. All right. Well, now that we're you know thinking about tasting some yummy pie, Mm -hmm. let's start talking about engaging all five senses at your events. I know this is a topic that uh, that you guys both really love. I know it. You know, when I tried this at my association conference where we had twenty thousand attendees, I felt pretty good about my efforts. Most of the efforts, except for the scenting machine, like that's how I was trying to go about the, you know, sense of smell. That that definitely had some challenges. So, what do you suggest? And and we'll let Emma start because I know she's actually been doing uh, presentations at different events on this topic. So, what do you suggest, either in general about engaging? all five senses, or I'm mostly curious to see how you tackle the sense of smell specifically.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, to engage all five senses, I mean, some are definitely easier than others in a very obvious way. So I um, and I think that's important in terms of engaging the five senses to find out why you're doing that, which I think is important in producing any event. And um, I know that often we'll ask people sort of, what's your objective in order to get to how you should produce the event? Find that asking people um, what emotion you want to evoke in your delegate is a really good way at trying to figure out what type of senses and how we should be engaging people on those levels. So to speak specifically to scenting, it is definitely one of the harder ones. A very um, easy way that you can have sense in your event is uh, this is the smell of food, right? So if you have cookies or baking, I mean, those are great smells that everyone everyone loves and, and they often evoke um, memories. So smell is very highly tied to memory, which is it's such an incredible tool that you can use, especially when it comes to that food piece. I mean, scenting machines are a good way to do it, but I the way I like to do it is have different smells throughout the different spaces, especially if you're doing something, I think, said for 20,000 people, you have a lot of space, a lot room so you can have different smells in different areas seating areas depending on what type of vibe you're wanting to have in that area i think to be we need to be careful with is allergies though to scents, right so you know flowers can often be difficult um so you need to really to keep that in mind too about not overpowering people a smell, or having the ability to walk away from that smell, if it's a smell that doesn't work
2: for them. Yeah, and that's that's actually the issue I had was even though my the scenting machine scents were supposed to be hypoallergenic, I think people that are that have sensitivities to smell, they, it automatically triggers for them mm-hmm. that it's going to be a problem. Like their brain just automatically thinks like if they smell a strong smell, like that that's you know going to be a problem, even if it's you know not technically supposed to be. And so that was one of the challenges that I had with that
3: yeah completely. and that I mean that makes sense. People are protecting themselves in that way. and I think that then that being having the ability to walk away from that area and into a different scent or a scent free zone is an important thing to be to build into to the activations.
4: The other thing about scent too is when you start to have two if you have one scent, that really helps you with alertness and memory. But as soon as you start to add in another scent to that, like if you do lemon and rosemary, great for food, not great to have as a scent in a room because it's too two scents just it's actually too much for our brain to process that plus more things.
2: And <laughs> brain actually, overload. <laughs>
4: it is kind of brain overload. So it seems really simple, but you know. But we've even just done things like cutting up fresh citrus and you know making a display of you know oranges and cut oranges and lemons and cut lemons or whatever you know pick your flavor of the day. You know, so for about twenty dollars, you can had a really nice, <laughs> non-overpowering, natural scent, but do be warned that banquets will probably clear that for you overnight.
0: <laughs> you could, you could oh, always pay sure. someone, pay people to eat orange, to peel oranges around the venue. <laughs> <laughs> there
2: you go. Pull it to your tusk <laughs>
0: I mean, I'm kidding, but it's funny because whenever I'm sitting near someone who's like peeling a, a cutie or a tangerine or something, I'm like, Ooh, that's lovely. Where's that coming from? <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think you guys talked a lot about what I liked that you mentioned was talking about the allergies thing. That is probably something that I wouldn't have, have thought about. And that kind of ties into what I'm going into here with When you guys, how do you feel about the role of empathy when it comes to designing experiences for attendees?
3: So Emma, why don't we share with you? I mean, I think that something that um, event producers have been doing for a long time is thinking about the event from a delegate point of view, logistically. So we'll always walk through the event: how does this registration process work? Is there going to be a lineup at this food um, location? Things like that. So I don't think that process is um, foreign to us, and I think that bringing that into the emotional point of view is something that maybe is is newer as we all start to try to find our emotions and. And storytelling, and I I think that it's definitely an important new aspect that we're working with, maybe not as new for some as as for others, but really trying to figure out who our delegates are, what point of view they're coming from, and what emotions they bring with them, and that we're wanting to stir in the event, I think is what should be driving all of our events and and the story that we're trying to tell. And then I think hitting on the five senses is a really great way to tie into people's emotions and memories.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I also love what you said about the smelling kind of memories. That is absolutely true. There are some things that I completely forgot about about my childhood, but you smell that smell and then boom, it's right back. So, yeah.
3: And music is huge too, right? Music is a uh, playlist and just uh, we all, I mean, I remember what my high school graduation song was. I, probably, I think probably most people do and you know things like that, or the song that you dance to at your wedding and, or, you know, Songs really tie back to your memories too. So those two those two things together can can really um, be powerful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Tahira, what do you think about tying empathy into your designing of experiences?
4: You have to. There's just no other way. It's um, you know, and it's not just it's empathy for our participants is something we've been doing for a long time. I think that where we really need to get better is empathy for our sponsors and really understanding why they're there and what they want to achieve out of it, and that it's not just I have two registrations in my logo somewhere, but really understanding that, you know, the reason that they're investing with us is that they want obviously to tap into the market that we're bringing to this event, but also they have their own brand story to tell. And if we can start to think about, you know, why they're sponsoring, why people are there tying those two things together, we can now create much better experiences, you know, and it can be as simple as, you know, a sponsor that I saw at an event yesterday was the only place you could get, an espresso. And anybody who's had, you know, gallons of hotel coffee knows that getting that espresso is a really nice thing. So that's a nice, easy brand story that takes care of your participants. I think it's understanding the extroverts, ambiverts, introverts who are coming. It's about understanding that 20% of our delegate population now arrives with some kind of crazy food allergy or sensitivity. And how do we manage that in a way that isn't awkward for them to have to manage it. You know, it really is that sort of that be all end all of what we do is we create safe, comfortable spaces for people to come and participate with us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the aim you said, um, Elizabeth. That's absolutely perfect. I, I'm the same way. It really depends on how much I've already been exposed to or, you know, or how much I haven't yet or how much coffee I've had. There are a lot of little elements that go into, you know, that and that it's the same for a lot of people. And so plays a
3: big part. And I think great. To build what Tahira said that I think, you know, speaking about re- what you're talking about is removing people's stress in a sense as well, right? People who have different ways of learning, people who have allergies, but being able to speak to all of those aspects and give them a comfortable learning environment where they don't have to worry about those things, that helps them engage in networking, that helps them engage in learning and makes the event more successful, As well as I really like Tahira said about the sponsors. So many times we're just like, get the money, do your two minute talk from the stage and it's your delegates don't like it. Your sponsors don't get anything out of it. And I know it takes some educating sometimes for the sponsors, but in the end, they'll actually get a much better payback by doing something a bit different um, that speaks more to what the delegates needs are rather than another two minute video from the stage about their brand. So I thought that was a really interesting thing to say Tahira.
2: I see another one of those stupid videos. I'm going to poke my eyes out.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Eight sponsor videos from the studio. And I was, I mean, yeah, at that point, you're not even differentiating between the different sponsors and the different videos. You don't, you leave there not knowing who told you what or who. Yeah, because they all look the same anyway. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so I just got reminded, actually, I was going through my Twitter looking for a photograph that I can't find anywhere. And I thought, oh, I must have tweeted it. Well, now with GIFs and everything, everything, I, there's just every every message is a media message. So it took me forever. Anyway, but I was reminded of, There was a sponsor that gave out gum at WordCamp. It's like the conference for WordPress developers. So the people around me were all chewing gum and mm-hmm. I um, have a little thing called misophonia. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like, it translates to hatred of sound. Like that's a perfect way to get the people around you to like, just tune out, tune the speaker out. I put my earbuds in and I was like trying to listen to the speaker through one ear and like, it was terrible. Anyway, just the moral of that is don't give away gum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah bad, bad Be devilish. empathetic to your misophonia attendees <laughs> who that. are triggered by certain sounds.
1: Amen, sister. Amen. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so here you brought up a good, you know, you kind of started, I think, you know, a good topic on, you know, asking why. How do you think marketers can make sure that their events are connecting to their business goals and outcomes? So more kind of from, and I loved everything you said about, you know, kind of thinking about your sponsors in this way, but for the host of the event, your company is hosting an event like a user conference or something. How do you, how do you make sure that those events do connect back to the business goals or business outcomes? Um, Do you have any tips like either when you were working with internal clients um, to make sure that their needs for the event are designed into the event?
4: Yeah, I think it's just, it's all of that, right? So it's about asking why they're doing it, what they, you know, one of the exercises we've been doing a lot lately is around impacts and outcomes. So if we have a business outcome of X, That is a business goal. What is the impact on the participant going to be that's going to affect that business goal? So, if we create something where we know that we want to create more networking at the event and that's our business outcome, is you know, but what does that networking mean? Does that mean that they found 10 new connections that they can talk to? Well, if you're the guest, having 10 new people that you talk to. This is going to probably be pretty awesome. That might make you want to come back the next year. You know, and we've all met at events, except for Jen, we don't know you at all. So, you know, but the, <laughs> but when we can create a space, then that, you know, how, then, then it's about how do we design that networking space, you know, so that you don't have to yell over the music. You don't have to try to awkwardly balance a plate of food and a glass of wine that you can actually find ways to, maybe you have something on the badge that creates a conversation starter. Maybe you can actually just have a badge where you can actually read the person's name. Ah, oh, I know crazy talk. But so if we look at what does every every step in the process, how does that positively affect your outcome? How does every piece of content you put on stage, every thing that you put on a plasma screen around a venue, every sign and the way that you're pointing people, make people feel safe and comfortable and connected to your brand and understanding what that brand is. It really just has to permeate through everything. And you know what? It's really hard. It is part art and part science and part getting your suppliers on board and part understanding what you can and can't do inside of your venues. And at the end of the day, if you get it right, it's pretty magical. And when you don't get it right, you really, instead of starting the next year at 120%, you're starting the next year at 40 or 30%. And it's a lot harder. So it's worth taking the time and bringing in some of the people who are really good at it. Yeah, great tips. What do you think, Emma?
3: Yeah, I think it ties back into a lot of different things that we've been speaking about throughout this podcast as well. So I think, you know, a hundred percent it's asking the why, and I think it's asking, and then from there you get the how. And I think part of the why that we've touched on here is is the emotion and, and what your story is that you want to be telling and what the memories are that you want your guests to be leaving with. And then you can use that story throughout your whole event as Tahira's mentioned like every little touch point needs to to relate into that to bring a positive um, experience and I think the flip side of looking at that and you know because we want to remove the stress is the negative side of it and I think taking a look at your event from the negative viewpoint because with the five senses all those five senses can be touched on negatively as well and that can be as simple as Bad sight lines, or to construction noises, to bad smells, to uncomfortable seats, to bad flows. So I think making sure that you take that viewpoint as you walk through your event as well to really remove all those those negative pieces, so that you're only left with the positive that really speaks to um, your client's
2: brand and message. That's a great That's, reminder.
0: It's something I wouldn't have thought to do, like on a site visit, like to try to keep in keep all of those things in mind. Easier to mitigate them if you can spot them, right?
4: It's also really, really simple things. Like, you know, you set up your room for 4,000 people and you have straight rows all facing front. So how many times have you sat like with your head just slightly awkwardly turned for an hour or two of (laughs) session and then you get up and you're just like, you're so, now you're so uncomfortable for the rest of the day. What if we just chevroned every seat? How hard would that be? Not at all. We don't think about it. Hmm. So the tiniest little things that we can do.
0: For sure. So we have all worked in organizations that do things differently. Sometimes the marketing team is part of the event team. Sometimes the marketing team is separate from the event team, right? So how the message about your event gets delivered might not be exactly to the liking of the person designing the event. So my question is, what do you, what's the number one thing as a designer of events that you wish your marketing team would do to promote it?
4: I think it starts with communication, quite honestly, because there's lots of times where, and I did this, I've very familiar with this scenario, you know, we have to, as the designers, give them the right and enough information for them to be able to send that message out. And that should start from the very beginning, you know, what is our theme, outcome, goals that we want to achieve? And that marketing starts to our sponsors, and then it starts to our participants, and you know if they're all they're doing is looking at a program and seeing 17 session titles that doesn't tell them anything you know what are the story arcs you know when somebody comes what are they going to walk away with what are they going to be able to apply back to their own lives their personal professional development and give them the tools you know marketers are busy and sometimes they'll be human and they'll take the easiest path and if we can give them the tools so that they can be inspired and also get excited about the messages we're trying to do and then use the magic that they have with their design and their wordsmithing to make it more amazing. Then we have a win-win. It's not a battle. It's we're all do. We're all going for the same, you know, end home run. You should be anyway.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, I think uh, I think the communication part is key, and being able to to work together from as an earliest point as possible. I think you know, as the event designer and um, marketers have, you know, such skill sets and ways of looking at things that they can actually can help you with your design with some of the design points as well so being able to include them in that conversation and getting their buy-in to what the event vision is is really important and that communication piece yeah is is super key we've had clients where they're the go between between the marketing team and us and so many messages can get lost that way and things like years. And then you end up feeling like you're butting heads rather than working together, which is going to affect both the marketing and the event in in a great way. So yeah, being a team and working together is huge.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and I, the interesting thing I think too, about social media marketing world is a lot of the best storytelling happens by the attendees once people have registered. So I wonder, and I know that you know, that your president has had a, you know, the, what's the journey um, video series going and stuff, but it's an interesting way to think about, I mean, in terms of storytelling, how go. to incorporate that more into helping your attendees or your prospects, right? Your potential attendees or your potential delegates get a really good idea into what the event is all about. Jen, when you say that's something that could be done more of upfront,
1: Yeah, you know, people really love the the behind-the-scenes story that goes into putting something as big, you know, as social media marketing world together. It's, you know, putting a show like that on is not an easy task it takes not only the team at social media marketing role or social media examiner it takes the team from our you know our company that helps us run it and the convention center and the neighborhood around you know the gas lamp quarter does great things for us as well it's a team effort it's really a whole lot of pieces going into one big puzzle and it's really powerful to see the back side of it. I mean, even as a staff member, it's, it's really cool to watch the journey because I'm, I'm a remote worker. I don't see a lot of that stuff. I'm not in the office. So to get to see my coworkers, even how hard they're working behind the scenes, it's, it's pretty amazing. And so I can, we, we see some great feedback in the YouTube comments from the journey. And so I think people really dig that behind the scenes for sure. Yeah. But I think, I guess my point is
0: the storytelling by the attendees
1: the people oh, yeah. that have
0: been for, you know, six out of the seven years or, or this will be their seventh year, yeah. having them tell their stories about what they got out of it. I mean, maybe it's not going to be enough about the content because it really is more about, it's, it's about the content, but it's more about everything else, right? All the it's peripheral level. stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we come back with some pretty cool stories that we're able to help share and help amplify after the event. It's pretty powerful to hear those stories and to see those tweets and to see the comments and testimonial videos. We got back a ginormous video from this guy from Australia last year, and it was pretty powerful. So it's it's cool to get all of that stuff and then just help help it be an even happier experience to share. So I guess I would like to go into my last question for the two of you to hear why don't we start with you on how can we help maximize an experience for the sponsors of big event?
4: I think, it. Yeah, you know, let's talk to them and let's figure out how we can take something and just let's pretend that we're not going to have a logo and a sign ever again, just for fun. Cool. And that what we're going to do instead is we're going to talk to the sponsors about how they want to activate for their, what are, are essentially their consumers. And I would rather give people space to create a great activation that is going to drive participant engagement and allow them time and space to talk to people, which is what they need versus trying to sell them on well you're you know you have you're on the website and in the mobile app of course I am that's like it's so obvious those are not that's not why I'm participating in your event I'm investing in your event because I feel it's the best vehicle to talk to my customers and then everybody thinks they want to do thought leadership from the stage and then they get up and they just do a sales pitch and it's super awful for everybody including them because now everybody's disengaged with their brand so how about if we try to show their leadership and their opportunities for solving a problem. How can I help you solve a problem? That's what people are looking for, which could be done through workshops. It could be done through booth activations. It could be done in a myriad of different ways, but it's really about finding ways that you can just connect brand to consumer and create that positive experience for people.
1: Yeah, I think that that could be very powerful to do it that way for sure. Emma, do you have anything to add?
3: I mean, I think Tahira touched on all of the important points there. It's custom. <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> it's on. Sorry, it's incorporating for that sponsor what's important to the delegates, connecting them on that level again. That hits an emotional point or solves a need of the delegate, where they remember that that sponsor did that for them. Um, making those those connection points that that last in the delegate's memories is really important. And two minutes on the stage is is just isn't going to do that.
0: I think we've gotten that point for sure. So hopefully some people will learn that from this show. (laughs) Fabulous. Okay. I have one last question and then we'll wrap it up. I want to know what tech gadget app are you super hot on these days? It doesn't have to be brand new, but something that you're really into and using a lot.
4: (laughs) They're both stumper. So so I'm trying to take the, um, you know, Ryan Holmes who, who runs Hootsuite gave himself a challenge of could he run his entire business from only his iPhone. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to see how much I can do from just one place and from one device. It's kind of like a fun game for me, but that means that you have all of your apps on it and everything that you need on it. And I don't have an iPhone, but trying to figure out how to stay connected to all of my needs is my current challenge from one device. I love that. I I basically
2: do that. I I haven't like formalized it in that way. I'll have to maybe take up that challenge myself, (laughs) but I'm doing it as much as I think I am
3: using. And uh, this actually speaks to what we were talking about earlier with mindfulness is a, a meditation app called headspace. So using that, it allows you, it's very accessible for people who maybe don't know that they want to meditate or how to meditate. It starts up with a couple minutes a day and it builds up. And so I've been using that and just trying to make sure that I, I touch that every day to, to bring bring presence and intent to my day.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I, I just that. read about that. that. That, and then there was another one that started with a, a C that I... It was, it was called oh, Air yeah. I think it's calm. A calm. Calm. Yeah, calm. that makes sense. Um, calm. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, I really think that our listeners will get a ton of value out of this show, as always. Tahira, delightful. Wonderful to meet you, Emma. We'll have to have you back. Hopefully, um, last season, we had a reunion to kick off the next okay. season. So hopefully, um, it was madness and chaos, but it was super awesome, awesome. having <laughs> having people like rotate in and out of, of the show. Awesome. So I wish you all a great rest of your day. Thank you, Tahira, Emma, and co-hosts Elizabeth and Jen. And Thanks for having us. Of course. Anytime. Literally. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) All right. This has been episode 30 of Making a Marketer, and we will catch you next time.